Last week we began a little bit in Romans. Romans is one of those dense books of the Bible um, that challenges us to get through simple sentences. And uh, I mentioned last week that, that uh, we looked at verses 1 through 17, and I, I said I could have preached at least 10 different sermons on it. And we, we're going to come this morning to Romans chapter 5, which is a, a fantastic, fantastic passage. Not that any passages are really bad in the Bible, don't hear me on that. Uh, but just another dense passage about who God is and how this world operates. I want you to think for a second. I want you to think, if, if someone were to ask you, uh, what do you think God thinks of you? I wondered if that might be a, a reaction. It's a fascinating question. What do you think God thinks of you? Uh, if you were to write that down on your sermon sheet, how many of us would start by, I hope, I'd really like it if, or some, way, some sort of that phrase. How many, just by hearing the question, have a little bit of anxiety? Kind of like asking, what does the principal think of you? We have a little bit of fear when it comes to God's perception of us or what we think is God's perception of us. But we're going to look in Romans chapter 5 today, and it's going to deal exactly with that. And it's going to deal exactly with our anxiety and exactly with our fears. And th- the two ideas that I want us to pull out as we, as we read Romans 5, 1 through, uh, 1 through 11, there it is. Got confused by quoting last week's verse. Um, but as we read Romans 5, 1 through 11, I want you to notice these two things. First of all, faith gives hope and peace. Faith gives hope and peace. And then secondly, hope reframes suffering. So, faith gives hope and peace, and, and uh, hope reframes suffering. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And let's hear what Paul has to say. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we, now, uh, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God, God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him, Through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, 
shall we be saved through his life. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, we admit there are times that when we, we come to your word, we are more confused than others. There is so much bound up in some passages that, that we have trouble knowing where to start. We have trouble knowing how to untangle just the basic, what is that saying? And this very much is one of those moments. And so we need your Holy Spirit. We are distinctly aware of our need for your Holy Spirit to come into our lives, to open our eyes to see, to open our ears to hear, and to open our hearts to understand, because without that, we would be lost. And so show us the hope and the peace that Paul has spoken about and how that applies then to our lives so that we can live more faithfully to you. Strengthen my words during this time. Mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One of the difficulties in skipping verses is the fact that you pick up in the middle of an argument. Our very first word here is therefore. It's like we're, I said in Sunday school, it's like we're jumping into the middle of the Empire Strikes Back having not seen the original movie. And so we're, we're jumping into the middle of an argument which makes it even more difficult. But it's an argument, like I said, that talks about our faith and how that faith gives us hope and peace in this world. How does it do that? Well, Paul is in some ways very, very plain on this and in some ways very, very thin on how it actually happens. Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that is, when, uh, when God looks at us, he no longer sees our guilt. Our guilt has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ took upon the cross what you and I deserve. The penalty for our sin. Every sin. Each and every one. Yes, even the one that happened this morning. It was all taken to the cross by Christ. And we have been justified through his death. He died unjustly. So that we who are unjust could be called righteous. And, and Paul says that since we have been justified through faith, through believing in Jesus Christ, we now have peace with God. Now, we can struggle with that idea because when, when we talk about having peace with God, we want to uh, do something. There's this urge, there's this desire in us because we know we have fallen short because we know we are sinful, it's hard for us to grasp onto this idea that, that God is the one who has called the ceasefire. God is the one who has made everything right. There's this desire within us to say, no, no, I should do something. We teach our kids that, after all. Say you're sorry, 
Now act like you're sorry. And we teach that, that when there is, when something has gone on, when we have injured someone, when he, we have caused someone pain, that there is a, there is a, a renewal in the relationship that needs to happen. There's a repair that needs to happen. And so we want to do something, but here Paul is saying we couldn't do something. So God did something for us. And as a result of that, we now have peace with God. It's a hard concept to get our heads around. This is another one of those office discussions where we say, how do we turn this into a children's sermon? How do we turn this into an adult sermon? Because this idea that with just one act in human history, we now have peace with God, it just, what do we do with that? Well, as we look at this, this idea should have some effects in our lives that are pretty profound. I ask you the question there at the beginning, you know, what do you think that God thinks of you? And we want to do that striving. We want to, to, uh, we want to work well and we want God to think well of us. But here's the thing. When Paul says that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's through Jesus Christ that we've gained that peace, what he means is that we are no longer to be striving to earn our way to God. This is a really pervasive thing in our thinking. This is a really pervasive thought. We've got to earn our way. I've talked about it before. We mess up and then we, we want to do something. We want to fix something. We want to, to do something right. I, you know, I, I really got angry with this person, so maybe I ought to throw a couple extra bucks in the collection plate. Maybe I ought to um, you know, go mow the church lawn or something. I feel like I need to do something. But peace with God means that we are no longer striving to earn our way back into God's favor. Let me put this another way. Because it has to do with our relationship with God. Imagine someone has done something to wrong you, and you forgive them. Now, that person, every time they come back and every time you see them, is apologizing and trying to make up for it. At first, that might seem okay. But if that continues to happen, what happens to the relationship? Does it ever progress? Do you ever really get reconciled? Oh, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm, do you remember that time? I'm really just so sorry about it. After a while, you'd probably be saying, listen, forget about it. You're now hurting me by being annoying about this. And yet, somehow, within our souls, we feel when we come to an understanding of who God is and that we are not God, we have this perpetual desire to, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I blew it again, I'm sorry, I blew it again. And yet, what Paul is saying here is that through Christ, we have peace. For a, a, a relationship to truly be restored, we have to get beyond that initial feeling of guilt 
so that the relationship can be restored. Otherwise, it's, it's not an equal relationship. It's not a relationship that can grow in intimacy and depth. We need to be able to talk about something other than what has gone wrong. And so we, we have to move on from those things and acknowledge the peace that then exists. If we don't, one of two things is probably true. The first possibility is that we were never really forgiven. Now, that's a possibility that we know from human interactions. How many times have we heard or have you been in a situation where someone's like, it's all right, and you know it is anything but all right? No, we're fine. You're not fine. And so one possibility is that we feel like we have to, to keep striving because we don't, feel, we don't believe that we are actually forgiven. And if that's the case, we are in a situation of doubting God's word, God's truthfulness. And that puts us into a, onto shaky ground every day of our lives. Because if we can't trust God's word, how do we live and, and how do we serve God with any form of joy? The second thing that may be true about if, if, we keep on, uh, if we keep on trying to seek someone's forgiveness, one is that we might not be forgiven, or two, um, the second is that we might not believe, no, that's the same one, I'm, it's one of those days, folks. First is that, that we were never really forgiven in the first place. The second is that we, uh, that we never accept that forgiveness, that we never accept the peace, and so we stall out the relationship. Sorry. And that can happen through that, that excessive request for forgiveness, that, that we never actually come to live into a new relationship that we never actually come to, to being connected with that person in a right way ever again. If, if we are constantly saying just to God, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, there is a place for repentance, but then there is a place to then grow out of that repentance. Otherwise, we just become a servant, we become a slave, we feel indebted. The debt is never paid for. The sin is never paid for. And so we are never able to mature. It stunts the maturity process in the relationship. This can happen in our relationships. This can happen uh, in marriage relationships. If one person feels wronged and the other person just feels like they cannot do enough to make up for it. It becomes dangerous. It becomes codependent. And so we need to be able to trust the forgiveness, but we also need to be able to receive and accept that forgiveness as well. And so we have peace 
with God? Do we trust that God has actually forgiven us? Do we hear those words of Paul and say, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God? Do we hear that and say, hmm, I have peace with God? I don't have to try to make up for these things. I can actually live freely into my life. I can live freely into my relationship with God. God has called us, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the Great Commission. Jesus has sent us out on mission to proclaim the good news of God wherever we go, whether we are going far away or whether we are just going down the street or whether we are going from, from one room of our house to the other. Wherever we're to go, we are to, to disciple, to make disciples of everyone. How can we do that if we are constantly seeking forgiveness after we have been already forgiven. It's another way that, that we might be slowed down in our mission, another way that we don't live out our calling and so don't find for, uh, fulfillment in life because we don't live into God's purposes. We are stuck trying to figure out if we are forgiven or not. And by default, what happens is then we use our successes and our failures in life as a barometer as to whether God loves us or not. If we don't know the peace of God, if we don't understand that and, and have that deep in our souls, we will look for evidence of it elsewhere. We will look for it in evidence in even the simplest things. How many of us have gone through and we've driven down 19 and maybe by the grace of God hit every green light and thought, boy, God must love me today. <laughs> we do that, don't we? We use external we use external circumstances as either, as either a, a, a proof or not a proof of God's love for us. Lord, I'm late and you're throwing every red light in my way. I get it. I get it. I'll leave earlier. But we look for other things. Well, maybe God didn't really want me to, to do this or, you know, it's, it's just hard. I failed. And, and maybe... Maybe, just maybe, that was never meant to be an example of God's grace to us. Or, excuse me, an example of God's favor towards us at all. Maybe we just left and hit a red light. Maybe we were inexperienced when we tried to, to launch that new hobby into a, into a venture. Maybe we didn't have all the information before us when we tried to repair a relationship and it ended up backfiring on us. Maybe it wasn't that God was showing disapproval. Get too many dark days in a row around the area and we might be wondering, all right, who in here sinned because you need to repent? But that isn't the case. We have God's Word, and more than that, what Paul says is we have the resurrection of Jesus. As he gets into verse 5, then Paul says uh, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. 
The sign of God's love isn't what is happening right now. It's what happened about 2,000 years ago on the cross. The fact that while we were still in rebellion, God sent his son to die for us. While we were still unholy, God sent his son to die for us. And that is the powerful proof of God's love for us. What Paul is saying is that no one sends a peace offering when they're ticked off with you. No one sends you flowers when they're annoyed at you. What he's saying is that the death and resurrection of Jesus shows us the kindness, the goodness, the depth of God's love for us, that we would be able to be redeemed even while we're in rebellion. Now, we need to talk about that for just a second because you can say, listen, Pastor James, I hear you saying the word rebellion, I, I, you know, rebel. I'm not really a rebel. I pay my taxes. Yeah, I run some red lights, but no big deal. No one was there anyway. I, I don't feel like a rebel. I've been a rule keeper my entire life. Some of you are, are rule keepers here. Some of you can't say that. But let me ask you this. Let me give you a hypothetical situation. What if you wake up one morning and your neighbor has built a fence halfway into your yard? Now, that fence is immaculately constructed. Great materials. It was perfectly leveled up. It looks beautiful, actually. But it's halfway under your yard. Now, do you, do you wake up and go, you know, that's a nice fence. Well done. <laughs> or do you wake up and say, hey, that fence is on my lawn. You immediately go to the fences on my lawn, don't you? You don't look and say, that's a beautiful fence. Now, if you're like me, you might say, that's a beautiful fence, get it off my lawn. <laughs> but that's the thing. You don't have to, when we see rebel, that doesn't mean that, that you are flouting every rule. It doesn't mean that, that you, know, you are the characteristic of the younger son in the parable of the prodigals. Squandering, wasting, breaking rules. Because what we have to remember is in that parable, the older son was just biding his time. He didn't actually love the father either. And so we don't have to be outwardly rebellious to be a rebel. But we just have to not pay attention to God to be a, a rebel. Nice people can be rebels too. And so we, what we want to understand is that regardless of whether we feel like we are a rebel or not, have we kept the law of God? Have we kept what we know we are supposed to do? No. We might have built a fence. It might be a good fence. It might be a perfect fence. But we build it halfway into someone else's property. We have all fallen short. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so... 
God's proof of his love for us is that even while we were doing our own thing, no matter how civilly and peacefully and nicely we might have been doing it, we are still doing our own thing. And he sent his son to die for us. And what that means is that we have a reconciled relationship. We are able to move beyond simple, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but live into a new relationship, a new relationship with God, a new relationship with others, and a new relationship with suffering as well. Too often we equate God's favor and God's approval with us with a lack of suffering. But hope reframes suffering. You know, Jesus says in, in John, he says, you know, in this world you will have trouble. We're going to have problems. It's still a broken world. It is still waiting. This world is still waiting for God's final redemption. And yet, we have to live in the midst of it as people redeemed. And we have to cope with suffering. We have to cope with the realities of death and of disease, of broken relationships and loss. And Paul says that, that our hope reframes that suffering. Not that the suffering in and of itself is good. Don't hear him say that. But God is so sovereign that he is able to take the brokenness of this world and he is able to reframe it for our good. He's able to take what, what the enemy meant for evil and turn it into his glory and our good. Let me ask you a question. Uh, how many of you have ever exercised ever? <laughs> All right. The point of exercise, of course, is to stress our bodies, but stress it in the right way, correct? When we stress our bodies the right way and then relax, we build strength over time. It's a process of, of stress, relax, repeat. And what God is able to do is take the stress of this world and turn it into His glory. Instead of overwhelming us, allowing us to be stretched and formed and molded, which is still suffering, but is suffering with a purpose, suffering with a point. And Paul says that point is that suffering produces perseverance. We're able to keep going just a little bit farther and a little bit farther, endure just a little bit more and a little bit more. And that perseverance produces character. We start to form godliness within us so that when we fight, face those situations, when we face adversity, our initial reaction isn't to, to flip out or to, to lose our minds, but it is to think godly thoughts, to have a godly character. And that character then produces hope by showing us by showing us what God has in store for us in the fullness of time. Hope reframes our suffering for God's glory and for our good. Paul wants us to know that, that what we go through in this life is not for nothing. That God is constantly at work 
helping us to become more and more in the likeness of his son, to live more and more into the redemption that we were called to. We know that our, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom He has given to us. God has poured out His Spirit. There are days when we may feel like that is just a thimbleful. But God says, no, I have poured out my spirit. I have poured it and poured it. And we can know that he walks with us in the midst of suffering because he's acquainted with suffering. He knows what it means to suffer. He pours out our hope. And so... As I've said here, faith gives us hope and peace. Faith gives us that peace with God that we can now live into a redeemed relationship. It gives us hope of what God desires for us, and hope then reframes our suffering. Stress that helps us to rely on God. Radical dependence that we talked about in the Gospel of Matthew. How is it that we face the troubles of our life? Are we an anxious people? Or are we a people grounded in God's love, expectant of His Spirit in the midst of our suffering? Let's pray. Lord, we give You thanks because You have not left us alone. We give You thanks because You sent Your Son. You sent Your Son to to show us the depth of your love for us. Help us to understand that deep within our souls, to to live out of it, to let that quell our anxiety. And to approach you with confidence. We give you thanks, Lord, for all that you have done for us through Christ our Lord. Amen.